pray. Father, I do thank you again for who you are, for what you've done. And I pray that in my ineptitude and in my inabilities and in, in, in all, all my stumblings that you would just speak in this moment. That you would help us to rest in you, that you would help us to trust in you, that you would help us to, to learn. And that right now, that your spirit would rest on us in a heavy, heavy way. We know, Father, from your word and as we studied last week, that your spirit never leaves us, that you are always with us in your spirit forever and ever. But, Father, I know that in this moment, there are many things that will distract us, that will take our attention and, and try, to, try to draw us away. I pray that the worries of next week, the problems that we've had coming in here this morning, the, the issues that nearly kept us from showing up, that all of those things would fade. And as, we, as we've recognized and, and talked about the hope and sung about the hope we have that one day we are going to go away and going to be with you. And as we've sung about that, that you, Jesus, are our rock that we stand on. And, 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 that, and that we want to be led to the cross. We want to know you. As we've sung those things, help us to center our minds on them. Help us to focus on them. Help us to, to, to just ignore every other distraction. That we'll hear your word. That we'll trust you. That we will learn. And that we will be changed. And that the sanctification process that you began in us will continue. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, peace. It's something we all really want. It's probably not that you sit down every day and think, man, I wish I had a peaceful life. That word is probably not something that you use in your everyday language. It's probably not something that enters in your mind every day, but... Our longings for vacations and, and weekends to come. I have a friend, in fact, well, a Facebook friend. You know how that goes. I mean, you may not ever see them, but they're a friend on Facebook. I have this Facebook friend that, that her posts always, always, always revolve around her weekend. When it's Monday, oh, I wish it was still the weekend. When it's Tuesday, I can't wait for next weekend. Oh, Wednesday, I'm over the hump. You know, every day, I mean, it's constant. But in our longings for vacations and weekends and, and simplicities of life, we give way to this desire for peace. It reveals that desire for peace in us. And, and so you may not mention it every day. You may not think about it every day. But it is a base need that you long for, a peace, that, that a settled feeling inside of you, a, a sense of contentment and security. Some of you will remember... Uh, a Calgon commercial. Uh, so, some of you are not old enough to remember this. In fact, I asked my son about it yesterday. I was like, have you ever heard the Calgon commercial and the phrase, Calgon, take me away? I'm like, what? No, I don't remember that. But years ago, like in the 70s, um, I know, they really did exist. The 70s were real. Back in the 70s, there was a, a series of commercials by this soap company, uh, and they would always go similar to this. A woman would be shown, and she was just dealing with the stresses of life, and everything was difficult, and everything was coming down on her, and she was just about to pull her hair out. She was at her wit's end, and she would scream out, Calgon, take me away. And the next scene would be of her in a bubble bath, smiling and just wiping on her arms, soothing music playing as if all the cares of the world had faded away. 
What happens when the water gets cold? And the last bubble pops. You've got to get out of that tub at some point. One of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, Jerry's, or George's father, he's always a little high-strung, you know. I mean, he is, everything is just dramatic to him, and he shouts about everything, and he's just a tense guy. Well, this particular episode had him using a, a relaxation technique to try and be relaxed. And so as things would get tense, and, and really it didn't take a lot for him to get there, but as things would start to get tense, he would say, serenity now. Serenity now. And he would just say that over and over. And what was really funny about that was that by the end of the show, he was no longer serenity now, serenity now. He was serenity now, serenity now, you know, shouting it out because obviously it didn't have the intended effect. You know, and whether it was intentional or not, I, I don't know, it might have been unintentional, but it's a parody, really, on all of these people who think that they can sit with their legs crossed and smell incense and, and hum and point their fingers in just the right way and find peace and look inside themselves and find this peace because at some point the incense burns out you've got to get up and you've got to go back to work you've got to continue to do the things that you always do you see the thing is is that it would be great to have this life it would be great to enjoy a life without trouble and turmoil wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing to wake up and not have to worry about one problem? Wouldn't it be awesome to not have any conflict between you and another person? Wouldn't that be, that would just be amazing. That would be life, wouldn't it? But there's no soap and there's no relaxation technique that can make that happen for any of us. We can't even legislate it. We can't even, our, our government can't make it happen. Maybe you've heard of the Treaty of Versailles. The Treaty of Versailles was one of the treaties that was used or that was signed at the end of World War I. The penalties in that treaty were so stiff that a lot of historians point to it as a cause of World War II. Because everyone that was signing that treaty, or not everyone, but especially the French, it was the French, the Italians, and the Americans signing it along with the Germans. The, the, the French wanted the Germans to pay so badly. They wanted their revenge. They wanted retribution. They wanted, they wanted such, such a stiff penalty to be held against them that it really hurt the Germans. And in the end, they rose up out of it to pay everybody else back. So a lot of historians point to that as a reason for World War II. You can't even legislate it. We can't make it happen. We, we, we in fact, <laughs> we... We can have movements that, that, that call for it. We can, we can do things in such a way that we, we try to end war and end violence and, and we can have all of these peaceful protests. I was thinking about this last night. We can have all of these peaceful protests, but you know, even in the protest, there's a conflict, even if you're trying to be nice about it. The truth is, the truth is, is, is that, that peace is only as good as those things that guarantee it. It's only as lasting as that thing that, that, that provides it. The truth is, is that there is nothing in this world or anyone from it that can provide it for us. There's no treaty. 
no relaxation technique, no, 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 no person that we can meet, no, no 12-step program that can bring us a true and lasting peace. Well, that doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? I think it's so important for us to hear what Jesus had to say as he closes his teaching session with his disciples. I think it's so important for us to hear what he had to tell them as, as, as he's just about to face the cross, as he's just about to, to go into this situation that is going to be grueling and, and, and sacrifice or sacrificial. It's going to cause him to suffer in a great way. You see, the, the, the truth is, is, is this. We live in a cursed and fallen world. And because of its nature, because of our nature, even the things that He does, even the places that He leads us, will sometimes cause us pain and discomfort and trouble and turmoil. Think about this. When, when Jesus, but he, he started into His public ministry, the Holy Spirit led Him into the desert to be tempted. God sent Jesus for the purpose of dying on a cross. And it all stems from this fallen world and our fallen natures. Even, even the things that He does in our life can feel hurtful in the moment. It doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? But Jesus, Jesus he had something to say about it. And that's what I want you to hear today. That's what I want you to understand today. We're going to be in John chapter 14. We're actually going to close that chapter out today. <clears throat> before I read the passage or before I read the verse that we're really going to focus on, I just want to, I want to get everybody on the same page. For those of you that have been here every week listening to this, to this chapter unfold, you're going to feel like, oh man, I've got to hear it again. But you need to hear this in context because it builds on itself. For those of you that haven't been here, you need to hear this in context because it builds on itself. So just think about where we're at in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 opens. Jesus has just shared the news that he is going away and where he's going, his disciples can't follow. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust God and trust me. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't be upset. Don't be discouraged. Imagine this, this man that had been leading them, this man who had, had been performing these miracles, this man who had, who had said himself that he was God is now going away and everything that you had hoped in and everything that you had planned on was disappearing and falling apart around you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, he begins to comfort them. He begins to teach them. And as he comforts them, he gives them some amazing promises. He tells them in verses 2 and four, two through 4, he says this, that, that hey, quit, quit thinking about my, my, my departure and look forward to my arrival. Because where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And at the right time, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm promising you that. And then in verses 6 through 11, he, he promises them that, 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 that as they trust in him and know him, 
They're not just trusting in any old dude off the street. They are, they are knowing God. They are trusting in God. That they, are, they are coming into a relationship with God. He demonstrates that. He promises that. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You trust in me and you know the Father. You know me and you know the Father. That's the things He teaches. And then he, he says to them in verses 12 through 14 that all the power that they had seen Him work in and all the things that He had done, they were going to do greater things. That His power would rest on them and that, that He would work through them. That's an amazing promise. You know, and if you read the book of Acts, you can see some of that begin to happen. You know, and I would, I would love to have seen some of that. These guys walking down the street and, and see Peter coming. Hey, get, get, get our friend. He's sick and let's just get him in his shadow. Because God's power rested on them in such a real way. And then as we studied last week in verses 16 through 26, he promised that he wouldn't leave them alone. That when he left, that he would send another. Another helper. Another of the same kind. A helper, one who would come alongside them, who would teach them, who would lead them to truth, who would remind them of Him. And in His presence, in them, because, because this helper, He wasn't just coming to, to lead them. He wasn't just coming to walk beside them. He wasn't coming just to, just to teach them from outside. He was coming to live in them forever. To dwell them forever. This helper... To help them see Jesus. Help them know the Father. And through Him, they would be revealed. These promises, these promises are amazing, and they called these people to trust Jesus. And, and, and so as Jesus opens that passage and He says, Trust me, and now I'm going to promise you these things, if those promises are going to mean anything, if they're going to be of any use, they've got to be trusting in them. A promise, a promise that we don't believe or, or hope in or, or, or care about, that, it, it may do us good in spite of ourselves. But think about the result if they thought on these promises and what they led to. You see, Jesus, as, as He comes to the close of this, I think he shares with them the result of what these promises are all about. In verse 27, that's where we pick up. He says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So Jesus, is he, he's closing out this teaching. He's just about to lead them out of the upper room. That's where they're sitting. They have just 
learned of the Lord's Supper. They've just been eating the, eating the bread and drinking the wine, and, and they are hearing Jesus speak of His going away, and He's saying, now, all of these things I am going to do for you. I am not going to leave you alone. I am going to let my power work through you. You can look forward to my return. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, Jesus, in all that He was doing, was providing them peace. A sense of security and stability. A place in which they could rest. You know, we sang the song. Uh, the second song we sang was, "You were, you, oh man, you are the rock on which I stand." You know, these promises that He was making, these things that He was doing, they only make sense because He is the rock on which we stand. He is that. that, that place of stability, that place when everything else is falling apart, when all of the circumstances of life seem to be crumbling. I mean, think about where these guys are again. They, they've just heard that one of their own is going to betray them. They've just heard that Peter, the one who Jesus named Rock, is going to deny Jesus. And they've just heard that the guy who's led them for three years is going to leave them. Their life is crumbling Everything they'd hoped in and wished for and, and thought about was falling apart. And Jesus gives them these promises and says, Peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. You see, that the, the amazing thing is about peace, because we don't understand it, we live in a world of turmoil and trouble, we, we, we can only imagine peace in the external sense. But that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not just simply giving these people a circumstantial sense of, of bliss. He's not saying that, that we're going to live in this utopia that nothing bad ever happens and that when you trust in me that you'll never have struggles or trials. He's not acting as if in some way that they can figure out a way that, that they can just avoid every difficulty of this life. In fact, the things that he's led them to at this point are very disconcerting. They are struggling. And as they hear these promises, they are hearing Jesus say, don't be, don't be troubled or afraid in this moment because this is what I'm going to do for you. The world around you may be falling apart. And even in the next verses, Jesus is saying, hey, the time is short. I've got to go. The enemy, the ruler of this world, he's coming. Even, even pointing to conflict, more conflict, more, more problems and strife, even in this moment. The peace that Jesus was offering was obviously not dependent upon their external circumstances or the situation that they found themselves in. First and foremost, that peace was with him. You see, these people... These people had grown up being expected to follow a law and, and being expected to work for their acceptance before God. And now they're hearing Jesus teach that, no, those things, they weren't exactly what you thought they were. They weren't exactly what you'd been taught before. Those laws and those things that you followed to try and make yourself acceptable, acceptable to me, they, they were simply types and shadows. They, they pointed to me, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, you come to the Father... Through me, he says. 
This, this, this is new to them. It's revolutionary to them. You want peace with God, you can't work for it. You must trust in me, he says. That's first and foremost the peace he's talking about. First and foremost, he's saying that, that, that we can't work for it, we can't earn it, we can't control the circumstances of our life and get it, but we must trust in him and be connected to God. It's all true today. We long for this peace. We, we want that, that life of ease and, in, and simplicity. That's not the world we live in. In fact, speaking a little later about this peace, Jesus says in John 16:33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, this peace, it starts with Jesus. This peace begins with a connection to Him. This peace that He's offering is first and foremost a relationship and a connection back to our Creator. We were far off. We were enemies of God. And Jesus says, as you trust in Me, I bring you back into relationship. I reconnect you. I bring peace where there was enmity. I bring peace where there was strife. But this peace, this peace that he's referring to, it doesn't end with just having this treaty with God, just having this, this agreement with God, and, and okay, now I've got this agreement, and now everything's going to be okay. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I've got this agreement. This peace goes further than that. This peace that he's referring to truly brings this, to, to, to mind this idea that there's an inner tranquility and an inner contentment and security. As we live empowered by God. That was His promise in the, in the Spirit. As we live taught and led and indwelt by His Spirit. There's a peace that can rule in us. No matter what's happening around us. The peace is a byproduct of our life in Him. As we live in Christ, as we walk in His way, as we live obedient to His commands, as we, as we are empowered by the Spirit, as we are indwelt by the Spirit, this is a direct result of His work in us. Paul realized this as he wrote to the Galatians. He was dealing with them on, on some different issues, and he comes to this place where he talks about that, that the, the fruit of the, of the flesh, the living for the flesh and living in our sin, that the, the results of that are obvious. And he lists off this list of sins that maybe all of us can find ourselves in. But then he comes to this place where he says the fruit of the Spirit, that, that result, that byproduct of living in the Spirit, of being empowered by the Spirit, of obeying the Spirit, that byproduct, that natural result is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And he, and he captures it again as he's dealing with the Philippians, as, he, as he's talking with the Philippians and he's closing out his letter to the Philippians. Paul points out, he says, do not be anxious about anything. That's simply a different way of, uh, of saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What Jesus was saying and, and, and demonstrating, and, and then Paul picks up on later, 
is that the peace is, is a sense of well-being and security that's not dependent on the world around us, but that comes from being connected in a relationship with Him. You see, it's, it's His peace. He says that peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's His. He's the source. It comes from Him. It's His to give. It's not something that you can get by... by joining some 12-step program. Are those in some way helpful at times? Yeah. And, and you can find people who, who can get great things from them, but, but truly, in the middle of all of this, the only place that a source of lasting peace comes is Jesus Christ. You know, we might find peace in bits and pieces. We might get to take that bubble bath. We might be able to, to say those words, serenity now. And find those moments where we don't struggle. But the truth of this world is that we may not be experiencing trouble now. It's still looming out there somewhere. But that trouble doesn't matter. And you have Jesus' peace inside of you. And he says, he says, this gift is different than the world. It's different than how the world would give it. This peace that I'm giving you connects you to God. It's as a result of a connection to God. It's as a result of living in me and trusting in me and following in me. And I give it to you in a different way than the world would give it. You see, it comes not from the circumstances around us. It comes not as a result of what's happening around us. It comes as a result of Him living within us. Instead, it's the assurance that Jesus is Lord and that God is sovereign. You see, our peace finds its root in the power and presence of God, not just some far-off place, not some disconnected, disconnected creator who doesn't care, but the fact that God is in this world and working and saving and sanctifying and building and shaping and bringing about His kingdom. It's that thing, that truth that lends itself to our peace. It's, it's where we find it rooted because we know who God is and what He has done. That's the root of peace. That's how it's different than the world. Everything else that the world has to offer comes from outside. But this peace, it doesn't come from inside us necessarily, but because of Him inside us. It comes. It's reliable. Whenever we're faithless, He, he remains faithful. In, in a way that Jesus was saying, he, he, was, he was telling these guys goodbye. This was a, a traditional way of saying, I'll see you later. So it was one of the ways that Jews did it. In fact, they would walk up to one another and they would say, Shalom, peace. And then when they left one another, they'd say, Shalom. And they'd offer this offering of peace. And so in a way, Jesus is following that tradition, but we see that he's doing more than that. We see that he's doing something that, that, that's much deeper than that. You see, it's not, it's not like he's walking up to them and saying, hey, how you doing? I don't really care how you're doing. Just, that's just what we say. You know, when we bring things up like that, we still say stuff like that because we don't know what else to say. Hey, how you doing? That's the same thing as these guys before. They were shalom, 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 shalom. How you doing? It's the same empty greeting. Have a nice day. Shalom. 
the same empty. See you later. We have no power to, to, to really prove anybody to have a nice day or, or really send any, anybody off with this, this special blessing. Have a nice day. Everything's going to go good for you today. You don't have any power to do that. It's empty. See, as Jesus is saying this, it's real. It's meaningful. It's reliable because it's rooted in his power and his presence. It's trustworthy. No other thing that we can dream of, no other person that we know can offer us this. There is nothing in this world that can offer us this. We will not find a lasting peace in any agreement or in any event by avoiding troubles of life. Nothing will bring us lasting peace except Jesus. Every other thing in this world, it will fail us. To know peace, you must know Jesus. And Jesus, when he gives something, it's different than the world because it is eternal. It is not ending. It will last forever. Our connection to God as we come to this place where he has saved us and he has changed us, as we come to this place where we were far off and we're brought close and we are now in a peaceful relationship with our creator, it will last forever it's not something that, that we have, can, can experience in a moment and then, and then walk away from it. it it's not something that, that, that it, it, it happens and then quits. It's eternal. And, and as, as we have this to look forward, Jesus even said it. Jesus talked about it in, in uh, the beginning of that passage. He says, I'm going to go away. But I'm coming back to get you, and you will be with me, and you will be with my Father. And then, you know, he even prophesied about it. He gave great uh, opportunity for people to know that it was coming. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah prophesying about the end of times, there's a lot of dispute about what the end's going to look like and how things are, what, what, what this might actually be referring to. There's some things that we know exactly what it's talking about. But in Isaiah chapter 11, he points to this lasting peace that will never end. He says this, There shall come forth a shoot from, a, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Do you know who this is referring to? It's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the shoot of Jesse. Jesus is the one who is going to come and who's, who's not going to judge with what his eye sees or, or decide based on what his ear hears. It's going to be righteousness that's the rule. It's going to be him as the judge. And it says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Picture that in your mind. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That is a place of peace. 
The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. You know, if that happened here, you think they're bad parents. Look at that. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. He'll probably send him to jail for child abuse. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, there is coming a peace that, that is not just going to be within us, that is going to be circumstantial all around us. When Jesus comes back and He brings His kingdom into its fullness and He recreates this world and He makes all things new, there's going to be a place in which no trouble happens, no problems occur, no tear is shed, and no conflict is felt. That peace is going to be eternal, everlasting, never-ending. And you know what He's promised you here? that you and I as His followers can know it today. You can experience it now. We don't have to live with this miserable feeling because our world is falling apart as we trust in Jesus. We don't have to be troubled and anxious because of the circumstances of life because of Jesus all of these promises He's given, all of these things that He said, all of His life is pointed to this truth that we can trust in Him, that we can follow Him. And as we do, He will give peace. How, Seth? How, how can I know this peace? How can I feel it? How can I experience it? My life, I, I feel like it's in a shambles. I feel like I'm out of control. I feel like I'm spiraling. I, I, I just deal with this, this anxiety and this worry and this trouble within me all the time. How can I experience it? Trust Him. Look again at, at this whole chapter over and over and over. He says, believe me. Trust me. And the word He's using is the same word as faith. You're going to receive His peace as you trust Him. You're going to receive His peace as you rely on Him, as you expect Him to fulfill His promises, as you trust Him to fulfill His promises. He says, believe in God. Believe also in Me. At the end of the chapter, He says, I've told you these things now so that when I'm gone, you'll believe. I don't want you questioning. I don't want you wondering. I don't want you thinking that maybe I missed something or didn't get something right or that I made a mistake. I want you to believe. So as we come to the close of this, as we come to the end of this message and, and thinking about peace and, 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 and wondering how we can experience it, we're really left with two choices. You see, there's only two reasons why you're not experiencing peace if you don't know peace. It's not because Jesus failed. It's not because His peace is not available. One, you don't know Jesus. You've never met Him. You've never, you've never trusted your life to Him. You've never responded to Him in faith. If you don't know Jesus, you will not know peace. Every one of these promises that he has made in chapter 14 as he pastorally dealt with his disciples was made to people who followed him. You don't know Jesus, you will never know this peace. 
Christian? He tells you, let not your heart be troubled. There's a vast mystery that happens here. Jesus says, I give you my peace. But in some way, we have to respond. In some way, we have, to, we have to walk in it. We have to trust in it. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Oh man, my car just broke down and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. My job's in danger. I don't know if I'm going to have money to eat next week. How can I not be worried? Because Jesus made promises that he will, he, that he will fulfill. How can I not be worried? My, my children are, are, are not living the way that I want them to. They're, not, they're, they're experiencing things that I think are dangerous. I'm worried about them and I'm scared and I feel like I have to control everything about them. How can I experience this peace? Trust in Jesus. You see, He loves your children more than you ever could. And the things that you experienced as a child, He brought you through. Don't you know he'll do that for your kids too? But Seth, my marriage is in trouble. I've been hurt. We argue all the time. Life is difficult. How? How can I know peace? You trust in Jesus. You see, he tells us that we're to love one another. In that, in, in, in that same time of teaching, he says, love one another as I have loved you. You trust in Jesus. Oh, it's such a cliche in Sunday school answer, Seth. It, it can't work. It's impossible to work. I just trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Yeah. Trust in Jesus. He is your only hope for lasting peace, a, a, a sense of commit, contentment and security, a sense that all is well, a knowledge that God, the all-powerful creator, has your back and has promised you that he will not leave you alone. He's not going to leave you as orphans, but that he is going to come and live inside of you. You can know this peace as you trust in Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's my sincere hope. It's my sincere hope that I'm talking to people who experience this peace every day. It's my sincere hope that I'm, that, that I'm not talking to people who are afraid or hurting but experience this peace in spite of their circumstances every day. And I want you to know, I don't want you to walk away with this load of guilt because if you're not experiencing peace, well, I'm just not good enough. I just don't trust enough. Hey, Jesus loves you. And he shed his grace on you. And he's showing you that love by giving you peace. Trust in him. Walk in it. Obey him. But I know the reality of life is that sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's tough. I'm just going to ask you to ask the Spirit to give you the strength to trust in Jesus.
Father, I thank you for sending your Son. I thank you for working this in us. I thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit in whom you dwell in us. I thank you for the power to, to, to go out and, and be able to share your love and your grace. I thank you for the provision that you, that you have shed on us, that you've given to us. I thank you for your presence in our lives. Father, you know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our pains, you know our problems. I just pray that you'd strengthen us to face them, to rest in you, to rest in your grace, to depend on you. And then to respond by letting go of those worries, by presenting those prayers and supplications to you, by laying them at your feet, trusting that you're going to work and then expecting that peace that surpasses understanding to just rest in us. I just pray that you do that in us now. Father, if there's somebody here today that has come to realize that they don't know peace because they don't know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a real and a powerful way, that you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would call them to yourself and strengthen them to stand and confess you. We thank you, Father, for all the work you're doing and going to do. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We come to a time in our service that we respond. Most times we sing and we worship. Um, today we're going to do it a little different. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. We do things a little different with our Lord's Supper, our, our communion, our time of communion. I'll explain this to those of you who are visiting. Uh, as a believer... This, this meal is open to you. If you're not a believer, I would just ask you, hey, this, you're not missing out on anything. For you, it's just juice and a cracker. For us, it's meaningful because it represents the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ by which we have been brought into a peaceful relationship with our God. It's something to celebrate, to be excited about, to feel good about. So if you're not a believer, I just ask you just, just to stay seated and see where you're at. And believers, I don't care if you come to the church regularly or not. If you're a, if you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ and uh, you want to celebrate this supper with us, I would encourage you to come when you feel led. I would ask you to sit and spend some time just considering your sin, confessing it. This is a serious business. When you come to the table, be ready. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness. Repent and come to the table and celebrate. Come when you're ready.